Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I am Tom Hayes and this is our 85th video cast and 75th podcast for the week ending June 3rd, 2021. We're doing this on Thursday. Um, we're going to try to do it on Thursday during the summer months when we're able to. We won't always be able to. A number of you have asked. I think with, uh, you know, people getting out and about and back to their normal business, they want to get out and party and see their friends. Uh, so summer is a great time to do it. So we'll, we'll try to get as many done on Thursdays as we can, but, uh, otherwise it'll be on Friday is our normal date. So, uh, kick it off. We got started. We'll kick it off with the media spots. By the way, tomorrow is Friday. I will be on Fox Business, the Clayman countdown with Liz Clayman just after three. Thanks to Liz and Ellie Terrett. So tune in if, if you're around for that. Um, okay, on Wednesday morning, I was on with Brad Smith and want to thank Ellie Thompson and Rebecca as well for having me on. Uh, this was a great segment, a uh, 10-minute segment. We were able to go into a lot of stuff. And, um, you know, he was kind of asking about the general market to start off with. And I made the point that, you know, with the market up uh, around 90% off the pandemic lows, it's harder to find value. And our new focus has been on Chinese stocks. They have been hit exceptionally hard for three reasons. One was the Archegos Bill Huang blow up. They had to unwind about $100 billion of Chinese stocks between uh, his family office and then the prime brokers that uh, were hedging out their total, total return swaps that they had sold to him. Um, and uh, so so not only the holdings that he had reported, uh, not reported, but had at that point Baidu, VIP shops, GSX, Tencent Music, et cetera, but the whole group got hit, including the gooder, the better names like Baba, uh, JD, and some of the others like Xpeng or Xpev is the ticker, Lee, et cetera. Uh, second reason they got hit is the Chinese government regulation. They fined Alibaba $2.8 billion on anti-monopoly issues. They delayed the IPO. Uh, they're cracking down on live streamers. They're cracking down on education providers. This has been happening for a while. They seem to be more serious about it right now. Um, with the uh, education stocks, they got hit hard. Uh, because there's a fear that they're going to take away their ability to do tutoring. Well, first off, for children over six years, uh, children under six years old, which, uh, you know, that's probably not going to have a huge material impact if that goes through. But more, the bigger impact would be if they restrict doing tutoring on weekends. My guess is they won't. Um, but if they did, it would be a third of their business. Now, most of the education stocks are down, you know, 60, 70, 80 percent. So it is pricing in that bad news. So if it's anything less than that, uh, or even if it is that it's a sell the rumor, buy the news uh, situation, you could see a bounce uh, from there. So, um, you know, the culture, uh, the education based culture in China is not going to change where, you know, parents are going to say, uh, yeah, I'll just, you know, send my kid to school and not not give him extra tutoring and we'll just roll the dice and see how it goes. That That's, you know, <laughs> that, that is not part of the Chinese culture. So, um, uh, for, well, from someone who doesn't know a lot about the Chinese culture, but enough that, uh, 
education is a top priority. So I, I think there'll be some middle ground. I think these are overdone uh, and we should be should be nearing capitulation. Uh, and then the third reason was the inflation fears in Q1 and Q2. You saw yields spike up from 100 basis points to 175 basis points in seven weeks. That fear was that uh, obviously with, with uh, rising rates, the uh, companies that have long duration earnings, namely tech companies, China's heavyweights are tech companies, um, those Future earnings three, four, five years out are less valuable when rates go up, when inflation goes up because the discount rate changes. And uh, that's another reason that tech and Chinese tech got, got hit hard. Um, with yield stabilizing now between 150 and 175 basis points on the 10-year for the last you know couple of months or so, and commodities starting to stabilize X oil in the last few weeks, uh, as a matter of fact, I will bring that up right now. Um, uh, I think what what's going to happen is we're going to move into this period of seasonality where these stocks are going to get bid in a major way. The interest rate sensitive uh, and the ones that were sold off on the basis of inflation fears. Why, why is that? X Energy, um, pretty much the entire commodity complex has softened in the last couple of weeks. And like when rates were going up parabolically uh, earlier in the year, until they stabilized, uh, people didn't know where, where it was going to stop. Now, if you look here, uh, other than energy, which, as I've been saying, you know, this is a period of seasonal strength into Memorial Day. And uh, while it could continue to rip higher as it's broken out from certain levels, etc., I would not be surprised if this takes a breather on a seasonal basis, number one, and number two on the Iran deal. Now, the Iran deal appears to be pushed off till August. If that changes, that would be an abrupt surprise. Uh, but when that happens, that's when you're going to see some some softness uh, in oil. But leaving that aside, look what's happened to copper. Okay, that was a huge indicator of inflation. It's rolled over in the last four weeks. Palladium, cattle even, silver, gold's down, platinum. Feeder, feeder cattle is starting to get a bit again, but it came off the boil is, is the key. Corn, all the grains are down. Uh, soybean meal, down huge. Uh, oats took a huge breather. Like the middle of May, these things just rolled over. So, so those, in, those inflation fears um, are for the time being on pause. Cotton, cocoa. I mean, lumber, lumber, this is the big one. This is the huge one down from, you know, 1700 down to 1300. That's a huge drop. And this was really causing concern with uh, building and it has so many knock on effects. So the fact that this is kind of stabilized a little bit, uh, hopefully it stays a bit, you know, weak here and finds a range like, like yields have done. That would really be helpful to kind of mitigate the inflation story and get some money to flow back into these more reasonably valued uh, tech stocks that still have a great growth story uh, with or without the pandemic. And um, and then the other thing you're seeing is a little bit in the dollar. So that's going to have, you know, that's going to put a little pressure on these commodities, keep them, keep them more subdued in the short term. Uh, so, you know, th these are major developments that I just want to point out uh, that were the cause for them selling off and now may be the cause for them starting to get bid. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is tech seasonality. 
So this is from Equity Clock, and this is by sectors. And th this is uh, very interesting. As you can see here, the energy sector, and this is an average. They do uh, 10 years of data. In most of our studies, they use tw uh, 20 years of data when it's available. So it's 10 to 20 years data, but th these have held true for, for as long as I can remember, decades. Uh, this is just the seasonality of most sectors on average, doesn't always hold, but on, on average is what we look for. And then we manage risk around that. So, um, you know, the general market uh, does well from, you know, uh, let's just start at the beginning of the year, January through May, selling may go away. So then what happens when the market goes sideways in the summer doldrums? Uh, that's when you get a change of guard. And that's why we've been building up the staples the healthcare, the utilities, you can see here, which we do think these are gonna take their second leg up. Uh, in the case of Staples, some you can still buy here at the price that we were pushing them out at um, uh, late February, early March. Some of them are up quite a bit still from that level uh, and gonna take a second level higher, but some of them you can still get get uh, get a hold of, like Kimberly-Clark, uh, Clorox, a uh, handful of others, but the Kellogg's are, are up too much from, from where we uh, suggested them. And um, Campbell's Soup, you might be able to get, but it's up a little bit. Uh, healthcare, there's going to be a huge opportunity, which we're going to talk about because June is when all the FDA approvals come out. So um, you have the PDUFA dates for June, and you're going to see a lot of action coming in biotech and big pharma. And that usually lifts the whole group. So even if you're not in a name that specifically has a binary event, approval, disapproval, uh, or rejection rather, uh, the whole group starts to get bid and people start to pay attention to it. And it happens every single June. So Biogen's got that huge Alzheimer's drug uh, that's been like kind of in limbo. Now analysts are seeing a 60% probability of that thing getting approved. UBS analyst Colin, Colin Bristow um, sees a 60% chance. Given we are less than one week away from the deadline, our expert now sees a 60% probability of approval versus 30% in April, noting that the FDA is likely taking time to finalize the label post-marketing requirements. Uh, in a separate note, BTIG analyst Tom Schrader wrote that he now sees a 70% chance of Biogen uh, being approved. And, uh, da, 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 da. okay, now, what happens if it does get approved? Well, there's this guy, if approved, Biogen stock could soar to $400. It's now at two seventy-two. dollars uh, Mizuho Securities analyst Salim Syed said in his note to clients, but if the FDA rejects Aducanumab is the name of it, Aducanumab, uh, it could plummet to around $200. So, um you know, the point is, is, is the rotations under the surface, the rallies under the surface. So, you know, the average retail person sees that and said, oh my God, it can go to $400. And they immediately go out, rush out to buy options, which are expensive as hell. Why? Because everyone's waiting for the result. Uh, and even if, if you do get a move to 400, the options are so expensive that you're not going to make that much money. So that, that's, you're often better playing derivative plays like the IBB index, like the XBI, like like some of the other names we've talked about, Novartis. Uh, we have Pfizer still. We think that's got a little more juice in it. Uh, Novartis, we think, has a lot more juice in it. Um, 
you know, and then there's a number of biotechs that have just been trading down for a while that I think as the seasonality comes in and as some of these approvals go through, you've got uh, Gilead, of course, you've got Vertex, Biomarin, um, you know, just a handful of these that have been languishing while the general market's up, waiting for this kind of change of guard, the seasonality that kicks in uh, at this time of the year. Um, and uh, and then t- uh, technology, by the way, um, which we covered in our article this week, we're going to emphasize, it starts to pick up and it usually is part of that summer rally that we talked about last week, where the S&P tends to be up 7% from its May lows at some point in the summer, um, you get that rally 7.5%, 7.23% up from the lows, but it generally obviously doesn't hold because why August, uh, September and October tend, tend to historically be a little bit weaker and more subdued. So you get that ramp up, tech flies, uh, and some of these others, and then, and then you, um, uh, you, you can trim into that. But this is kind of how we're set up here. And there's there and note that all of the excitement now is coming into energy after these huge moves. It's not to say energy won't keep pushing higher. I hope it does. But I'm just mentally prepared that although we have energy holdings, that those might weaken uh, in, in the next handful of months before resuming their uptrend and making pushing very high for the next three to four, three to five years. And I put a little interesting uh, picture here. This is an old picture of Mohammed bin Salman, MBS, uh, the crown prince, and uh, uh, Putin uh, sitting at an OPEC meeting, smiling and laughing and joking together. And I was going to put a caption in, you know, with Putin telling MBS, can you believe they're shutting down drilling in Alaska for wildlife, and uh, you know they're just laughing all the way to the bank as we just shovel uh, tremendous amounts of wealth and, and market share back into their pockets, and they'll be naming the price, um, uh, you know, for for the next handful of years based on current policy as we um, reduce supply and increase our dependence on foreign sources when we have more supply than we know what to do with. It's just regulation is now coming in. It's a change of guard and uh, and it puts us at a competitive disadvantage with prices going up and it's going to impact everything. So um, so we're, we're helping these guys with our current policies. And, the, you know, so on the one hand, you could say that's good. That's bad. It really doesn't matter. How do you make money from it? How you make money from it is last year when we were pounding the table, you loaded up on energy stocks. And there, there are still some that you can get at subdued levels. And if you missed it, I think you're going to get another opportunity, not at the levels from last year, but probably in the next few months to pick up for the long term over the next three, three to five years. So, um, okay, moving back to, uh, to Brad Harris, we talked about the seasonality. Uh, the other aspect of seasonality, um, by sector we'll, we'll cover uh, in the article. And then in the context of these Chinese tech stocks, our favorite pick is Alibaba. And if you look at Alibaba since their IPO, their average PE has been 28 times. Uh, their current PE is 18 times next year's estimates. And um, so why is that? Obviously, there's the government regulatory overhang people are nervous about. 
the delay of the anti-IPO, all the things that we covered. However, uh, the Chinese government needs Alibaba to fulfill on their plans of what they call dual circulation, which is they want a massive amount of internal consumption in case the U.S. allies with Europe and they start to put pressure on China for different uh, trade factors that could hurt China's exports. And uh, by having a thriving internal consumption economy, they can withstand that. Now, I don't anticipate that's actually going to happen. I think that this administration will lean towards the humanitarian issues over some of the other issues that uh, the previous administration was focused on, uh, namely trade and uh, us maintaining our economic hegemony. So, um, so, so, so that's, that's, that's kind of the key story. They need Alibaba. They also need Ant Financial because they're rolling out this digital yuan. Ant Financial is the company that's going to uh, be integral in doing that test run. And as a matter of fact, today there was a note that Jack Ma's Ant Group gets the nod to operate consumer finance arm, a key step in fixing regulatory issues. China has approved Ant Group to operate a consumer finance company. Ant will hold a 50% stake in the new entity. The creation and operation of a consumer finance company is a big first step for Ant Group to resolve its regulatory issues. Well, they resolve it. Guess what? They go public. Uh, Baba owns a third of that. That's $100 billion. They can use that for uh, expansion. They can use that for buybacks. Uh, it'll be a good thing for the stock. So, so that was a big breakthrough. And um, so the other thing that's very interesting about uh, Alibaba is that you can buy it today for the exact same price that you could buy it in 2018. So June 2021, same price as June 2018. You say, well, that, that's fine. Um, why, why does that matter? So... Um, it matters because the what's happened in the interim is revenue has doubled, cash flow has doubled, and earnings has doubled. So you get the same price for uh, Alibaba stock. The difference is twice as much revenue per share, twice as much cash flow per share, twice as much earnings per share. And that's really a big deal. So um, we like this stock. Uh, we're starting to see more and more smart people come around. There were some notes out by Tweety Brown. Uh, Charlie Munger actually bought it in Q1 of this year for Daily Journal, which is his investment vehicle. Uh, and he made it 20% of the portfolio. It's one of his biggest positions. That was a new buy. So that's a, that's certainly a big deal. Uh, and then we moved on with Brad to the jobs report. There was a big, big miss last month, 266,000 versus uh, 900,000 plus that they had wanted. Despite record job openings, JOLTS report, the highest in the data series. So uh, why were we adding so few jobs when there's so many jobs available? And the thesis is that, uh, twenty. well, one is that women had to stay home to uh tutor their kids, and two, that the extended unemployment benefits when you add the federal 300 to the state 400, 
you know, your 36,000 a year, 40,000 a year run rate all in. Uh, many people made more money or will make more money staying home through September when these extended benefits expire than they would going to work. And as a result, 24 of the 50 states uh, extinguished those benefits last month. And so we expect that will have some positive impact on the um, on the jobs report tomorrow. Uh, but the 26 that kept the benefits are the most populous states that have the most people on the benefits. So, you know, I don't expect a huge beat tomorrow. Um, uh, and and you, you could certainly get a miss. But but the point is, I think that the jobs reports from now through September will be subdued enough, whether they beat modestly or they miss or they miss big. I don't know. But um, it will give the Fed enough cover to delay tapering uh, until Q1 of 2022 versus consensus of uh, 2021. So right now, everyone thinks they're going to roll out their tapering plan in August at you know Jackson Hole or the equivalent. And then they're going to start tapering in December and the market will not react kindly to that in the short term. But uh, it will work through because the growth will be sustainable and, and it will power through. Um, Friday, the expect tomorrow, the expectations are for 664,000. Um, so that's number one. Number two, you have to consider with Chair Powell, uh, not only is he committed to getting a job to everyone who, who wants a job will have a job. He's very focused on not having structural employment, which, uh, we did have following the great financial crisis. It's almost as if his, uh, brother-in-law lost his job at age 55 and never got reemployed for the last 50, uh, 10 years and he's had to pay his brother-in-law's rent or something. I mean, this seems to be hit really home for him in that um, he does not want to see that and he's willing to let the economy run as hot as possible in order to you know, get uh, eight, as many of the 8 million people back to work as want to go back to work and probably to get that unemployment rate down to 4.5. So he'll let it run hot. That's number one. Number two, you have to consider, and I say it a little bit tongue in cheek, that um, uh, he's up for reappointment in February of 2022. Now, if you're a professional athlete and you're up for a contract renewal uh, in February, you know, you're you're not going to uh, you're going to do your very best up until that period. You're not going to, you know, take huge risks of, uh, of making big mistakes between now and February because you want to get that contract renewal. Well, I think the same is thing true for any human being that's in a position that is, uh, of importance to them. And I, I would be very hard pressed unless inflation just gets out of control, which is a lower probability after the base effects are behind us. Uh, I could see him pushing off tapering until after that reappointment. And um, and that would be consistent with with the data that uh, that is anticipated. Uh, the last few subjects that I was scheduled to talk about with uh, with Brad were uh, earnings estimates continue to climb. Twenty twenty one are at one hundred eighty eight fifty four. They probably come up a bit more in the last two weeks. They haven't published. hasn't published because of the uh, holiday. And next year's are already up to two ten. Uh, if you recall, we had been talking months ago when they were at 175 and I think 195 that maybe we would see, you know, 190 to 200 for 2021 and 210 to 220. I think we're now going to get towards that top end of the range 
And that would certainly be a good thing. Um, and then finally was the meme stock uh, AMC story uh, that they wanted to discuss. We ran out of time. But the basic story is, look, they've got a, th- a thousand theaters. They're the biggest player. Uh, in 2019, they did $5.4 billion in revenue. They lost a buck and a half or a buck 44 per share. And next year, they're expected to do $4.7 billion of revenues and lose uh, uh, 85 cents a share. Now, in, so if you take a look at it, in 2019, pre-pandemic, the 52-week high for the stock was $16 a share. The 52-week low was $7 a share with no pandemic problems, no residual effects from that, plenty of box office hits to show, uh, and um, you know, greater than 10% more revenue than they expect in their rosiest scenarios for next year. And so now the stock is whatever it is, over $60. Um, basically, to buy the stock here above $60, you have to believe that four times as many people are going to go to the movie theater in 2022 than went to the movie theater before the pandemic in 2019. Now, you could say there's pent-up demand, so maybe it'll be double. That's fair. There's going to be a lot of box office rolled out all at once. That's fair. But you also have a lot of these new streaming services that aren't leaving it in the theaters as long, like Disney, number one. Number two, they can preempt the theaters if they don't like the deal. Um, and uh, three, uh, many people have built their own movie theaters. I mean, on this call, probably half, you know, there's a lot of hedge fund people that listen to this call and professionals. My guess is a third of the people on this call probably have their own movie theater in their house. And, uh, and I think, and people who don't, they have got beautiful big screen TVs and couches and everything else that, um, while it'll be exciting and novel to get back out to the movie theater in the short term, I think you, you go back to a normalized run rate after the first six to 12 months after all the blockbusters are out. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's hard to get there. And maybe you could get to double where, where it was trading at its highs in 2019 on a reasonable optimistic valuation. That said, uh, there's 21% short interest. Uh, there's a structural issue. You've got the, what they call the apes, the retail apes, uh, you know, pushing the stock. So, uh, and buying a ton of calls, which the brokers have to hedge by buying the stock. So that'll go on for a little while, but ultimately it will revert to its intrinsic value, whether that's in days, weeks, or months. No one knows. Uh, if you're a gambler, play the game. If you're an investor, uh, you know, I would take, I, I would take a pass. You know, the short term is a voting machine. The long term is a weighing machine. Even Mudra Capital, who, uh, put 230 million into the secondary offering flipped out the same day for a profit to the retail investors who gobbled it up. And, uh, and that's the story there. So thanks to Brad Harris and Allie Thompson for having me on. On Memorial Day, the day after Memorial Day, I think the futures were up and Devik Jane gave me a call. Uh, thanks to Devik. And I said, uh, the market's pricing in, uh, uh, this was AMC. The stock is pricing, pricing in a lot of good news. Unless you're making the, the bet that more people are going to go to the movie theater than did in 2019, the stock might be a little pricey is, is an understatement. Then I want to thank, so thanks to Devik Jane over at Reuters. Thanks to Ellen Chang over at U.S. News and World Report. Appreciate Ellen putting me in her article this week uh, about the healthcare sector, which we talked about the seasonality just now. And um, basically what I said is the sector is about 13% weight of the S&P 500. 
So people with a lower weighting in their equity allocation may find this is a good time to gain additional exposure to the group as healthcare is a defensive group, which by the way, is why these defensive healthcare staples utilities tend to do their best during the summer period is defensive sectors do well when the general market is uh, choppy or uh, uh, indecisive or even weak. Uh, so, which, you know, generally sell in May, May through October is weaker than, uh, you know, November through May. So, um, as, as a rule of thumb. So, basically what I'm saying is, uh, okay, defensive groups tend to outperform when the general market is weaker and decisive, as is historically the case May through October on an average seasonal basis. Uh, so by adding into, if you're underweight healthcare, in simple terms, you're buying low and selling high, which is a simple axiom, but one of the keys to long-term success. Many investors chase what has worked in the recent past. So what you're seeing right now is everyone's now chasing oil and banks, which is what we loved last year, uh, extrapolating that it must continue into the future. In most cases, the herd buys after the bulk of the move is in the rearview mirror. Now, uh, short-term move on a secular basis. I like, I love banks. I love energy and I'm, I'm not lightening up that much. I'm trimming at the margins, taking some profits. And I hope to re-add if we do get weakness, uh, in coming months. So, uh, thanks to Ellen Chang. I uh, also want to thank, uh, Herb Lash called me today. He must have called me before I ate lunch because some of these quotes are a bit cheeky. I got to say, uh, there was a quote out that, um, there was a, a headline out this afternoon, you know, the uh, Dow, for instance, was down 200 some odd points, the S&P, the equivalent percentage, and, um, you know, it looked a little grim in the morning. And then the market just rebounded and uh, nearly finished positive, at least uh, the Dow did, S&P a little lower, and NASDAQ a bit lower than that. But the headline that turned things was that, um that uh, Biden might give way on the corporate tax rate to get his infrastructure plan done. And, you know, the, he, they've been talking about 28. It's at 21. The market probably thought maybe they could get to 25. This headline implied that and, and he might give up something on this 15 percent minimum tax. So bottom line is what was a headwind for for corporate earnings now might become a tailwind. And that's what changed it around. Uh, I made a few quotes. Uh, again, I must have been hangry at the time, but they're, you know, they're accurate in that. Um, okay, so it's a headline that actually turned things around. Possibility that the rate for corporations will be certainly less than 28 proposal and potentially not at all. Uh, although I would find that surprising to say the least. So, uh, you know, the market had its mindset on the middle, 25, somewhere in there. Uh, and that has a huge direct impact on earnings. And if that's accurate, accurate, that's probably why you saw the big turnaround just about an hour ago. There's a higher probability that Democrats push through whatever the hell they want. <laughs> that's what I said to Herb. Although Biden wants to appear like there's a bipartisan outcome, and he may be earnestly trying for it, uh, the probability of both sides coming together and compromising, particularly when one side has no real, real reason to do so, they can push it through with reconciliation. It's just simply unlikely. If I was a Republican sitting in Congress right now, I'd, I'd just be like, what the, what the hell are we doing? We should just be golfing. Why are we even going through the motions? Because fundamentally, I mean, unless you have Joe Manchin really going to turn the tide on these things and just block them, um, the Democrats are going to push through whatever they think makes sense. And, and, you know, elections have consequences. So, um, 
So, you know, uh, cautiously optimistic on that positive development, as you can see from my quotes, but that would certainly be an unexpected positive surprise if they did come to the middle on some of this stuff and uh, have a reasonable outcome. Uh, okay, quote of the day, the key to making money in stocks is not to get scared out of them from Peter Lynch. So we saw a bit of that this morning. Uh, speaking of getting scared out of, we've got two ask me anything questions for this week. Uh, both are from the same person. Ben Healthy is his name um, uh, or his nickname. And uh, if you've been following for some time, Ben asked some good questions uh, over the uh, last year. And so he goes, okay, hi, Tom, great podcast the last couple of weeks. Here's a new podcast question, though I'd love a quick reply today if you have a moment. Uh, you had mentioned a couple weeks ago that Splunk might drift lower into earnings. Thus, I haven't bought it yet since it actually moved higher into earnings. Now that earnings have been released and Splunk is selling off some, at what price should your listeners consider adding new money to Splunk? Uh, you know, look. Number one is it's not financial advice and I don't uh, give advice. What I do is I share what we're doing and then you can look at your situation, talk to your financial advisor and see what makes sense for you or not. Obviously not everything is gonna work. Some do, some don't. But as it relates to Splunk, let's talk about it. Um, so what are the facts about Splunk? So Splunk, here's from Barron's. Um, it had better than expected, uh, it posted slightly better than expected results for its first fiscal quarter. It reported software revenue, uh, provider network analytics software reported revenue of 502 million for its quarter, uh, 16, 16% increase from a year earlier, modestly above the company's guidance range of 480 to 500. And Wall Street consensus was 491. The company lost 91 cents a share on an adjusted basis, which was bigger than Wall Street's uh, forecasted loss of 70 uh, cents a share. So they beat on the top line. They missed on the bottom line. Uh, I saw the CEO on Bloomberg tonight, and he said that that was a lot was related to compensation costs, which is a good thing because um, they're selling more than they had expected to sell in their guidance. So they had to pay out, I guess, the commissions. Uh, they much more commissions than they anticipated would would come in in the quarter. So, you know, he spun it as a good thing. Let's see how how it plays out. Sounds like a good thing to me. Well, here's some other additional numbers. If you recall, the reason the stock's down, as we've discussed in in past podcasts, is because they're transitioning from a licensing model to a subscription model, and <clears throat> which will be really positive for the multiple and uh, earnings power growing forward. But its cloud-based annual recurring revenue was 877 million, up 83%. Total annual recurring revenue was 2.47 billion, up 39%. And cloud number, uh, cloud revenue in the quarter was uh, was 194 million, up 73%. The, co the company had 203 customers with annualized cloud revenue of more than a million dollars a year, up 99% a year ago. Overall, Splunk had 537 customers with annualized revenue above a million, up 46%. These don't sound like bad numbers to me. Um, for the second quarter, Splunk sees revenue of 550 to 570 million at the midpoint of the range is just a hair above previous Wall Street consensus at 561. Company sees cloud ARR for the quarter of 950, 950 million to 960 million with an ARR ranging from 
$5.9 billion to $2.6. And what Doug said was, our first quarter success was defined by customers accelerating their move to the cloud. Data became an essential service in the past year as the pandemic, pandemic solidified the urgent importance of di digital transformation. Uh, the other thing that he said on the Bloomberg thing tonight was that uh, their product is, is really effective with regard to uh, stopping hacks. So it works really well with a lot of the security companies and it's critical to that process to um, defend from hacks. So that will be another thing that should be a tailwind for the stock. Um, what happened after, why did was the stock down, whatever it was, mid single digits today, 8%, 9% uh, after running up into earnings? Um, so let's see, where's Blanc? Here it is. Okay, so it ran up, it bounced from you know 110 when we were putting it out, it bounced up to I think 123 or 124. Where, uh, yeah, 123.59 was the high a couple days ago. And then it gave back a bit of that, uh, where did it close? 111. So it gave back a lot of that run up into earnings to today uh, following that. So the analysts all came out to cover their asses uh, and they said, uh, Morgan Stanley still lack of clarity on underlying growth. Uh, some indicators of growth are unlikely to catalyze the share. Lowered its one-year target from uh, to 150 from 160. Well, look, you know, 150 percent uh, a move to 150 from here is a 30, uh, you know, give or take a 30 percent move in 12 months. That's probably going to outperform the S&P. So that's not a horrible thing. <clears throat> Keep in mind they're responding to their immediate despondency following the bad news, and they always make emotional decisions right after the earnings. Barkley said that while the results were solid, Splunk is still in the middle of a cloud and business model transition that will continue to muddy the optics. That's true. They lowered their price target from 206 down to 170. So, you know, a move to 170 is over a 50% move in 12 months. BMO Capital Markets said uh, Splunk's quarter was not without blemishes. Uh, and it will remain a show me stock. They lowered their price target from 150 to 144. Still from these levels, that's a great move over the next 12 months. And city analysts kept their price target at $170 per share, 12 month target, held their neutral rating. Um, though the, the stock should remain contra uh, controversial given lack of annual guidance and, um, and clarity. So look, they took it down. The bad news is out. Uh, what usually happens after an earnings puke, it usually takes three days to bottom out. We were in the market. Any accounts that had available capital to put to work, we were in buying today. Um, you know, and we'll probably add a little bit more in the next couple of days if it shows further weakness. Now, just from a chart point of view, I mean, I, I don't pay a lot of attention to this, but if you look at all the past bottoms, it tends to bottom the same exact way. You have this flush move, then a rally, and then it gives back most of the rally before taking off. Flush move rally gives back most of the rally and then hopefully takes off uh flush move rally gives back most of the rally takes off flush move rally gives back most of the rally takes off um flush move rally gives back most of the rally takes off flush move rally gives back most of the rally takes off flush move rally gives back take off flush move rally give back take off Flush move, rally, give back, take off. So, you know, if you're looking at this chart, you know, that's not to say 
it can't flush lower and create a bottom at a lower level. It could certainly do that, but I don't know. I, I think there's too much good news here. I'm, I'm adding here. Um, I wanted to have tech exposure going into this seasonal period. This is one of the names we love. The other one is, is Baba. So uh, I like it. And we've added to weakness over the last couple of weeks since we put out these ideas. Um, and, uh, you know, we're going to continue to, to, uh, to stick with it and, uh, size it appropriately. But, um, I, I, all in all, the growth rate with the transition is very promising. And, uh, that's, that's the risk of the, the high multiple stocks though, is that you can't lean into them to the same extent that we could lean into the Wells Fargo's or the Exxon's. Or the different stocks like that, where you can, you know, put a huge amount of money to work when they're so dislocated and sleep well at night. These you have to put more modest amount, and you got to stay on top of it and average in, and that's what we're doing. Um, okay, so we went through the commodities. We can click out of that. Um, all right. So those were the quotes of the week. Thanks again. Uh, okay, so. So that's my answer on Splunk. Good question, Ben. So what is what is the answer? I've been adding on on this weakness. I'll continue to add if it gets weaker in the next couple of days. If it breaks that low, I'll you know maybe get a little cautious. My guess is it probably wants to take that out just to get rid of the scared uh, people. But you know there's too much constructive action going on and. Uh, Reading the earnings call transcript and going through it, I, I really don't see material holes in the story after the stock is down, you know, as much as it is. I, I like I like it here. I'm going to continue to add, but I, I'm sizing it appropriately um, to do that. Now, uh, Ben asked a second question for the podcast. I know you think Splunk, Baba, and Boeing will fare better than the general indices. But won't they likely fall nonetheless if we get a correction this month? Well, yeah, of course, stocks fall if the general market falls, but they'll fall. So, okay, your Thursday sentiment article pointed out that uh, AAII sentiment survey shows extreme exuberance. The put call ratio is very low. That is, would it be prudent to wait one to four weeks before purchasing Splunk Baba uh, Boeing for those of us who haven't done so yet? Okay, so here's Boeing. When we put Boeing out, it was down here at 220. It's it, it hit almost 60. That's had a 20% move. We uh, in the uh, trading service we took profits on that. That was a huge move. So, um, but on a long-term secular basis, we love this. It's similar to energy and banks and, and the whole thing. Now, Ben is the same person who asked us about you know when when. Um, DFEN. We were pushing def uh, defensive stocks before the election down here. But after it ran up, he was asking here, it was at $21. He's like, should I wait till it goes to $20? I said, look, you know, you can wait till it's $20. But if it's going to 60 or 70 or 80 over the next four years, what's the difference about a few bucks? And sure enough, it rallied, uh, 20 to 26, so, you know, 30% in the last few weeks. So does it cool here? I, I don't know, but you, you have to take a longer-term view on these. And and if you're taking long-term suggestions as short-term trades, you're, you're missing the boat. That's, that's uh, you're, you're collapsing two different things. Over the long-term, this thing is going to make new highs. They're in a duopoly. The demand is increasing, whether it takes one year or two years or three years 
going back to new highs. So, um, do you, you know, do you want to wait a few weeks and maybe it goes 20 points lower and you buy more? Sure. I mean, if you missed it when we suggested it, I mean, we, we've suggested it la- last year, but it pulled back here. We said that this is another chance to add and it moved. So I guess the answer to your question is if you're taking a one to three year view, it doesn't matter when you add. If you're trying to be tactical, you know, see if you get a pullback, you'll be lucky. But I, I wouldn't be so certain that we're going to get a pullback. First off, the AAII sentiment survey result, I found it to be less useful in the last uh, few months. As a matter of fact, um, I think the founder died and a family member is running it. And since that happened, I don't know if it's just coincident with the market climate. Um, I'm putting less, less weight on it than I have. I think the magnitude of the survey is like 300 retail traders. So it's not this broad swath of, um, of, um, su- surveying that would make a reliable data point. It's something to just keep an eye on because if you also looked in that article, the, um, uh, fear and greed index was neutral. So yeah, it's worth keeping an eye on. As far as what you're saying about the, um, put call ratio, here's the 10 day, which is a better indicator. It's just rolling over. It's not to say it can't reverse and go up, but it tends to trend down after a spike up. So I wouldn't be so certain. Now, generally with the skew spiking, so everyone had placed these bets on the end of the world coming. Um, you know, historically, you know, you, you want to get a little defensive when that happens, but uh, when it when it's rising. So, like, for instance, after the crash last year, everyone stopped placing bets because it had gone so low. And that's always like a no brainer buy signal. When it's overdone, sometimes the market can keep ripping higher. Uh, it can lead to a crash. But if you're looking at like 2000, we've been comparing this market to 2017 and 2013. You look at these spikes. Even as they come down, the market just consolidates sideways and then keeps pushing higher, rolls over, keeps pushing higher. So if it's, if we're still in a 2013, 2017 environment, which has been our base case, same thing here. Look, you had this huge spike up. It rolled over. You know, you had this modest pullback like you had here, but as it rolled over, the market kept pushing higher. As it rolled over, the market kept pushing higher. Whereas in a normalized environment that's not 2013 and 7, you get these spikes, you, you do get a correction. So again, it's it's mixed. We're looking for the rallies under the surface. So um, I think, you know, for look, Splunk and Baba, we've added on every weakness that we could uh, since we put it out. So and uh, so Splunk was today. Baba started to move. It came in a little bit today. We'll see. Maybe if it comes back to 2.15 or 2.13, maybe we'll add a little more. I don't, I don't know. But I like these here. If I can buy something that's doing twice as much revenue, cash flow, and earnings per share as it did, uh, you know, just two, three years ago uh, at the same price, I'm interested. Plus, it's trading at a huge discount to its average multiple. The growth is intact and the government headwinds seem to be slowly subsiding. The other thing you can look at is, you know, a bunch of these indicators that we, we've gone over, uh, you know, healthcare here. You know, the, this is closer to where you want to start to add healthcare, which is in line with the seasonality. So I don't care generally about the general indices. I care about sector rotation, stock rotation, 
And that's why I'm positioning for what could work well over the summer if we do have a little bit of that turmoil and a little bit of that um, chop and or weakness and or compression of yields and or defensiveness. Um, so you're seeing a number of these that are, again, closer to the bottom than to the top. None of these are perfect. By the way, uh, the National Association of Active Investment Managers, they remember I said that they would have to chase up in the, in the correction, and that's what's happening. There's still more room to chase here. So uh, PMO buy all, that's only halfway up. At 100 is where I would get more defensive. Same with uh, buy Dow Jones, same with buy SPX. These are just getting started. So I think you might be, I understand the pickle ratio, but I think you might be looking in the rear view mirror because we just had a, you know, a correction that scared everyone out. So the people that got whipsawed on that, they're saying, oh, well, it's got to come back. Um, but it just happened. So, you know, no one can perfectly tell the future. All you can do is weigh the odds. And uh, from what I'm seeing, there's, there's still some opportunity under the surface, but that's why we're being surgical in what we focused on. A uh, couple quick things I want to cover. Uh, I didn't realize that all these questions would take so long, but I think a lot of people are going to find this very helpful, Ben. So thanks for sending that in. I think you have a clear answer on what we've been doing. As for what you should do, I have no idea what you should do. You should talk to your financial advisor, uh, but I'm just sharing what, what we've been doing. Um, okay, so this is interesting. So Sam Zell, if you recall a few months ago, a few, a few months ago, maybe weeks ago, I said that we were looking at uh, a couple hotels in the oil patch in uh, January and February, and they just went for so far beyond like, there was zero distress. Well, even Zell, who's known for grave, a billionaire real estate guy who's known for grave dancing, he's just kind of thrown in a towel and he's paying up for hot properties. So that tells you everything you know. The pain of paying fair value for a property is less than the pain of not being a hedge for inflation, I guess, is his view. And uh, he wasn't able to drive a hard bargain. He bought... Uh, Mammoth Real, Mammoth Real Estate in Corp, which is uh, far from distress, owns 120 industrial properties in 31 states. So he's just making a bet on e-commerce with that and paying up for it. Um, but, you know, if it shows that, you know, Zell will usually just sit tight until like everyone else is puking up their properties and then he just swoops in. He's a grave dancer. And he's, you know, what this tells me is he's like, I got to put money to work. I got to have an inflation hedge. It's not a deal, but it may cost me more to do nothing. And I think that with the amount of liquidity in the system and everything else going on in the new business cycle, he's right. Um, okay, so we talked about Biogen. We talked about the seasonality. Uh, this is interesting from macro charts again. Um, I think we covered this one with uh, one third of the NASDAQ stocks have triggered buy signals the most since March of 2020. Most spikes of this magnitude led to bottoms or big rally extensions. Uh, textbook bull market response after sentiment capitulation, which we've had in tech, and follow the trend. So uh, his thesis is this breaks out. I, I think that's true, but we're being selective with the likes of Baba, with the likes of Splunk, uh, things that have already been battered that you know we feel are close enough to a bottom that, that we can have a position. And if we're wrong in the short term, we'll add more just like we did with Wells Fargo and get that basis even lower. Uh, but my sense is that uh, a lot of the pain is in and these things are going to turn. What's going to be the catalyst? Maybe it's the China deal coming out with Schumer next week. 
the legislation package, you know, sell the rumor of the bad news by, you know, sell the rumor by the news. Uh, the second thing that he put out was, ah, this is the one I wanted to cover. Momentum just got a whole lot cheaper. Indices rebalanced to the best performing stocks. A huge shift to cyclicals and value the new leaders. Momentum valuation is now half of last year's peak. So everyone was saying, oh, the multiples have gotten so high. Well, they've now rotated into those stocks that have been, you know, having momentum, which are value and cyclicals, which have low multiples. So you can see the PE ratio on the momentum index has now um, collapsed, which means people are going to start to say these look cheap and the game will be back on. So that's a really interesting study by uh, macro charts. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Uh, this is just some of the Chinese stocks. It's interesting. You know, we put that out a few weeks ago. A number of them are just rocking and some of them are languishing, but I think they're going to play catch up. But Xpeng we talked about, Lee we talked about, these uh, e, 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 um, EV companies. So this is up 50%. Lee is up in the last five weeks. Xpev is up uh, about 33% in the last five weeks since we started talking China. Uh, Neo's up. We didn't have any of that one. Baba's even up a bit from 210 to 220. It's retreated to 217, but it's starting. Uh, PetroChina broke out. JD, there was a huge amount of option buying. Uh, by the way, it's 53 minutes in. Uh, the podcast people are going to get cut off at 60 minutes. Just go to hedgefundtips.com. Go to the video cast. Fast forward to minute 60. You'll pick up exactly where you left off and catch the last few minutes of it and not miss anything important. Um, what else are we looking at here? Uh, so, and then there are others that were in the, um, uh, Archegos portfolio, Tencent Music, which is the Chinese Spotify. It's just been languishing here. VIP shops, it's been languishing. Baidu's been languishing. Those were the ones in the Archegos portfolio. I think they'll eventually get bid. Uh, some of the, um, Education stocks are, are languishing, obviously, because of that regulatory overhang. They'll have some decision one way or another. We discussed that earlier in the call. The other thing is there was a note out uh, a few days ago. China, U.S. can find common ground on tariff exclusions. Chinese think tank says all it takes is a little thawing and then money's just going to rip back into these Chinese stocks. And that's why we're just preparing for it and taking the bumps. Now you're seeing more positive stuff come out. Uh, value uh, manager Tweedy Brown came out with his their comments on Alibaba and the growth of the Amazon Web Services with Ali Cloud grew over 50% last year. Um, they have uh, cloud business over 40% market share. Uh, they're going to get their margins up to AWS levels, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then um, uh, Bill Miller's, uh, a lady that's worked under Bill Miller for 20 years was out in Barron's talking Baba this weekend how they think it's cheap, Baba and Amazon and uh, Baba, Amazon and one other, but, you know, tech. And, and he's a you know, traditional value guy. He sees what's going on and um, same book. Now, SPAC warrants. Okay, we've often talked about SPAC warrants of a basket and we've re referred to Michael Milken who changed the world with junk bonds. He basically would go to insurance companies and say, look, you're buying all this investment grade stuff that yields 5%. Why don't you buy this garbage? You buy a portfolio of them. 20% will go bankrupt. The rest will yield 12 to 20%. You're going to wind up making more uh, uh, risk-adjusted returns 
in the junk bonds than you are in your investment grade with a bigger margin of safety because if if the worst case doesn't happen, you're going to shoot the lights out. And he's now done the exact same thing. They said from junk bond king to SPAC whale, how Michael Milken became a big investor in the SPAC boom. And he's doing exactly what we talked about. He's backing a fund that has a huge basket of SPACs and SPAC warrants. You can see them here. This article's in Forbes. Just go to Forbes and put in Michael Milken's name. It'll come up and you can see all the SPACs and all the warrants that that fund is in. And he's doing it the exact same way. You know, 20% aren't going to work. 30% aren't going to work. The ones that do will be up 3, 5, 10x. It's the same way we explained it to Brad on TV. But it was nice to see, <laughs> you know, all these years later, I was saying this is exactly what Michael Milken would do. Well, this is exactly what Michael Milken just did. So there you go. Um, all right. So the article of the week, the My Thang stock market and sentiment results. Uh, this is, a, I guess, a new group called Tiger Lily my thing and the lyrics are i'm going to keep doing my thing come shine come rain whatever the weather i'm going to keep doing my thing and that's just testament to the stock market has basically been grinding sideways no matter the bad news good news whatever it's just doing its thing and we're focused on the opportunities under the surface um which we covered brad here's the technology sector seasonality that we were talking about it tends to grind flat till mid-june and then it takes off through the end of the year we'll see if that holds true this year this is what I was talking about with BABA uh, trading at the same price as 2018, except earnings per share, cash flow per share, and revenue per share has doubled, and it's going to get even bigger next year. So, you know, if you want to own it at that price for, you know, twice the business for the same price, that's the opportunity. Uh, these are the earnings we went into. TSA uh, travel is kicking off. The leisure travel is going through the roof. Business is coming back. Cases are rolling over. Vaccines are going up. Deaths are rolling over. That's good. We covered the meme stock. This is what Ben referred to, the AAII. This is extreme. This is usually you want to fade, but this is a 2013-17 market. I think that uh, most corrections are going to be modest, 3 to 5% max. As we talked about in the beginning of the year, we expected a handful of those. I think the big correction comes next year when taper starts, which is likely after the appoint reappointment of Powell. Uh, and then... Um, the AAII, um, the fear and greed, though, was neutral. So this kind of washed this out. The fear and greed has been more reliable than this in recent months. So uh, we still look at it, but, you know, it's, it is what it is. We said two weeks ago they'd have to chase here if they got a bounce from this, and that's exactly what's happened. There's still more room to chase. We continue to pick our spots and look for the rallies under the surface. We've spent the last few weeks building China positions, selected SaaS and tech positions and SPAC warrants, mostly selected busted SPACs with announced deals that have rolled over, but have interesting businesses and sponsors for the long term. You can explore a list of SPACs here. We believe the big money will be made under the surface for the remainder of the year. We've always been talking about a mid-teens. We're up 12, so maybe you get another 3 to 5% in the general indices, but that's nothing to write home about. The big money is going to be made in the sector and stock rotation, which is which is our knitting. So while the indices continue to do their thing, we'll continue to do our thing and scoop up out-of-favor out of stocks and derivatives. Then we patiently hold them until they return to our predetermined estimate of fair value. Finally, we return them to excited buyers in the market who prefer to enter later and pay a lot higher valuations. Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. So that's the name of the game. Uh, saw some uh, usual act options activity coming in the Chinese stocks this week. Uh, 3,800 contracts in IQ, 18,000 contracts in JD today. 
economic data has been uh, pretty good. ISM manufacturing beat, uh, so that was good. Um, then we saw the non-farm payroll was a big ad, which may help tomorrow, but the continuing claims um, were worse than expectations. And this is the number, you know, last week it, it finally beat after not beating for months. This week it failed again, which tells me these people are staying home until September, uh, despite the fact the initial jobless claims was lower, the continuing, the people staying at home keeps missing expectations with the exception of last week. So 